Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, May 3rd, 2021, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are continuing our study on the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we will be looking specifically at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And as we look at this passage, I want to remind us that this world is filled with so much despair, tragic loss, sickness, hurt, and sin, as if we need to be reminded. And even through this last year, we have skin seen the reality of death and the fear of death. Sin brings death and finality. For those living without Christ, there is impending judgment. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, we see this refrain before Noah comes onto the scene and the Lord asks Noah to build a boat. Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Oh, beloved, we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul continues to tell the church at Romans in a New Testament fashion of the despair and the sin and the hurt and the pain of this fallen world. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 18, Paul says to the church at Rome, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, the world is all about preserving their one solitary life and the pleasures of that life is the main goal for which the non-believer strives. You see, for those who are not in Christ, this life is the only hope that they have. The world lives with the true belief that this is their best life because it's all that there is. So with every hurt, with every pain, with every threat, and with all the sickness, the world only knows how to react by fear or hostility. But in our passage today, Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, this is not how the people of God should respond. 
Instead, the people of God, they live with hope. They live with abundant hope in the future. They aren't living for this life now, but they are living for a better life. And we have a grand inheritance. I love the way that John Newton illustrates this hope through our inheritance in Christ. He says, suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a very large estate and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we would think of him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. In the same way, we have such an everlasting inheritance from the Lord. And this reality creates a hopeful response. So let's look at our passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And we see Paul exhorting this church towards gospel hope to the end. This is what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. But you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul is exhorting the church at Thessalonica towards gospel hope to the end. Paul encourages this church with the reality that the grave is not the end for the Christ follower. He reminds the brethren that their lives are priceless and valuable. And the exhortation leads us as well to remember that we are given this life for the glory of God, the spread of his fame over the whole earth, and the proclamation of the gospel to every tribe and every tongue and to every nation. Paul tells the church at Philippi, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He says, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. Why? Because I'll be with Christ and that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary. Why? For the spread and the, the, the making known of the gospel. You see, beloved, when death is not the end, but instead is just the beginning and it's our hope. It changes the way we live this life. It changes the way that we approach the trouble that this life gives us. The gospel gives us abiding and unending hope to face each day with confidence, with joy, and with great purpose. The gospel hope that we see in this passage leads us to four realities that inform the way we live our daily lives. The first is an unfading confidence despite the despair of the world. We have an unfading confidence despite the despair that is in the world. We are called to be different in grief in our behavior and in our belief. We don't grieve as those without hope, but we grieve as those with confidence that this world is not the end and the grave is not the last chapter, but the first chapter of eternity with Christ. I remember when I was 10 years old coming for the first time face to face with death and uh, my grandmother's brother 
who we called Uncle Bud had passed away and, and she loved her big brother very much. And she had worked with him in the family syrup plant for over 40 years. She and my grandfather would have breakfast with him almost every morning. There hadn't been a visit that I'd ever had to see my grandparents. And I also didn't see my Uncle Bud. But Bud would be the first true time I came face to face with the reality of death. I was confused by the open casket. I was confused by the gravestone and gravestone and the whole process of a funeral. However, I remember the hope and the almost joy that my grandparents remembered Uncle Bud. And I remember hearing for the first time the reason that Christians assign bodies to a grave. There's passages like this one, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, that show us that for the Christ follower, the grave is hollow. I love what John Piper says about death and the Christian act of burial. He says the last act of Christian faithfulness and the last testimony that a Christian has is through a Christian funeral and a Christian burial to prove and to show the world that we believe in the resurrecting power of Christ. Oh, beloved, the gospel gives us hope amidst the despair of the world. Paul tells the church in 2 Corinthians 5, 6-9, through So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, that we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. We have unfading confidence despite the despair of the world. Oh, beloved, this world is in despair. This world has tribulation. This world has trouble. And we are not immune from it. But the difference between a Christ follower and those without Christ is not the tribulation. It's not the despair. It's not the effects of sin. It's the way that we have hope and it's the, what we hope in during that despair. And we have unfading confidence because we have the gospel. We have gospel hope that's living in us. As Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, do not be uninformed, brothers, about those who sleep. Why? So that you may not grieve, so that you may not toil, so that you may not worry as others who have no hope. But because of the resurrection, not only of Christ, but because he has promised to resurrect us, we have hope. And that gives us promise. That gives us continual perseverance in this life. But the second reality that we see from this passage of the gospel hope, which is ours daily, is this. We have continual promises that are rooted in the gospel. Verse 14 says, since we have believed that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. Jesus' resurrection is both proof that God can raise the dead, but it's also the promise that he will raise his followers from the dead as well. Jesus illustrated this proof and promise in another way to Martha when her brother Lazarus died his first physical death. John chapter 11, verses 21 through 27, it records this interaction between Martha and Jesus. And it shows us the time that Jesus comes to Martha during the, 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 the passing of, of Lazarus the first time and reminds her of the gospel hope that will be hers through Christ Jesus. Now, remember, in the first part of John, we see that Jesus delays from going right away when he hears that Lazarus is sick. 
And he actually doesn't even go towards Mary and Martha and where Lazarus was, was until he learns that Lazarus has passed away. And so the first words that we see from Martha to Jesus is recorded in verse 21 of John chapter 11. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, and if you think about it, isn't that our response typically in times of trouble? Lord, if you had only Lord, where were you? Lord, why didn't you act? Why didn't you come quicker? Why didn't you react in such a way? We question the Lord and we question his timing. But then she says, and in in an attempt at faith in verse 22, but even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. So Jesus says, verse 23, your brother will rise again. But Martha says back to him in verse 24, I know that he will rise again. When? In the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus says to her, oh, Martha, you've missed it. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die physically, yet he will live eternally. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks at Martha and he makes it personal. He says, do you believe this, Martha? She says to him, yes, Lord, I I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. But here's the deal. We see, we see several verses later that Martha only loosely believed that Jesus would resurrect his followers. She knew that he was from God. She believed, but she truly didn't know how to grasp both the power and the faithfulness of Jesus to his promises. Beloved, even after describing this to her moments later, Martha still doesn't grasp the faithful power of Jesus. And so what I want us to see through the rest of this passage is that Jesus truly is true to his promise and he has all power and that is rooted in gospel hope. So John chapter 11, it continues in verse 38. So Jesus deeply moved again. And we know that in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible says that Jesus wept. He didn't weep because he wasn't in control. He didn't weep because he was unsure about what was going to happen. He was caught up in the emotion of the effects of sin on this fallen world. So know this, beloved, our God, our Christ, our Messiah, he sympathizes with us in our weakness and he is deeply moved. Even though we have caused it, even though our sin has polluted this world, our Savior, our God is grieved that we are hurt by our own sin. So verse 38, Jesus deeply moved again. He comes to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus says in verse 39, take away the stone. But then Martha, the sister of the dead man, who had just said, yeah, Lord, I believe you do whatever. You ask God, he will give it to you. You could see the state of her faith when she says, Lord, what are you doing? By this time, there'll be an odor. He's been dead for four years, for four days, sorry. But then verse 40, Jesus says to her, he says, did I not tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. Oh, beloved, listen to that question that Jesus asked Martha and know that he's asking you that question today. Do you believe in the promises of God? Because if you believe in the promises of God, if you put your hope and your faith and your trust in Christ Jesus, then you will see the display of the power of God when he will resurrect you from this physical death. Beloved, we have proof beyond proof that Jesus in fact did live and that he indeed defeated the grave and sin by resurrecting on the third day. 
And this powerful proof, coupled with the litany of promises found in God's word, should give us confidence in the continual promises that are rooted in the gospel. Oh, we have gospel hope and it informs the way that we live. And we see that through the continual promises and the power that are rooted in the gospel of Christ Jesus. But the third reality of the gospel hope that we see in this passage is that we have strength rooted in the certain return of the Lord. Verse 15 says that for this, we declare to you by a word from the Lord, take it to the bank. The Lord has said it. And it's, it goes on. We declare to you that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command and with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise. The king will come in full glory with public display. Jesus' return is certain and it will be personal. He will cry out our name just as he did with Lazarus. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And at the end of the days, he will call you by name. We know that Christ is returning. And if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then you can be assured that his return is not just communal, but distinctively personal. The God of this universe loves you, beloved, and will personally return to bring you home if your faith and your trust is in him and if you are a Christ follower. Jesus' return will be personal. And there's strength that's rooted in that certain return. There's personal strength. But Jesus' return will also be public. And there's public strength. It says in, there will be a bold cry of command. Oh, Jesus' return will be public and it will be a display of power. Revelation speaks of this return. When John says in chapter 11, verse chapter 19, verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, the king will come in full glory with public display. And this should give us hope, knowing that the call is personal and the display is public. But we should also know that Christ's return will be powerful and permanent. The dead will be resurrected with the power of God once and for all. The living will come to their king who will come to his throne and take complete control of this fallen world once and for all. The personal and public display of God's power at the second coming should fuel our strength in the Lord. We don't worry or fret with the cares and concerns of this fallen world when we realize the ultimate strength, which is ours in the gospel of Christ Jesus. And the fourth reality of the gospel hope that we see in this passage is the responsibility we have to overflowing encouragement for our brothers and sisters and for gospel proclamation to the lost. Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. We now have a responsibility to walk together with our brothers and sisters, pointing and reminding one another 
of the grace and the comfort found daily in the gospel. However, more importantly, we have the opportunity to use these truths to spread the glory, the fame, and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, the resurrection of Jesus sealed the promises of the gospel, and they supply the greatest hope that the world could ever experience. It's this gospel hope that fuels our mission each and every day. A vulnerable family or woman is never beyond grace, love, and healing that can be hers in the gospel. When these women and families worry about the mess they have made with their lives, we simply must point them to the truth that this life is just a grand warm-up act, but that Jesus will redeem any past all for his glory. And we supply true hope to vulnerable children, hope that can't be found in becoming a U.S. citizen, hope that can't be found in a new bicycle for Christmas or a picket fence, hope that can't be found in a large home or a college education. Oh, hope that is only found, that's found solely in the gospel of Christ Jesus. May we encourage our families to make this glorious gospel known to these children who enter into the into their forever homes. May we constantly remind them to keep the gospel and its truth in their home each and every day. Oh, may we take this truth and encourage this truth in our brothers and our sisters to remind one another the grave is not the end for the Christ follower. And let us take this gospel hope to our families, and to the nations. I love what the Shema says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as a benediction, it's a great place for us to end today. To remember, oh, hear, O Israel, it says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord Yahweh with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them what diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them on the sign of your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. May we speak continually of the gospel hope that is ours. Oh, beloved. This passage is good news, and it fuels our mission today and every day. For us, those that are in Christ, the grave is not the end, and our hope will continue past our physical death. Let's encourage one another with these words. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. We are praying this week for the country of Hong Kong. We're praying for the gospel and the church to go to for the gospel to go forth in the country and for the church to be equipped to take that gospel there. We're praying for our partner, Mother's Choice, and for all the work that they are doing. There's still ongoing conflict and social unrest in Hong Kong, as well as fighting the pandemic. And we want to pray for our partners and we want to pray for the church as they navigate through that. We pray for all the waiting families who have been matched with significant medical special needs children and pray that you that the Lord would, would wrap around these families and, and, and show them his love. We do pray for specifically for our partner Mother's Choice that, that, that Mother's Choice would continue to find favor and that they would continue to be convicted of being uncompromising in their Christian values. And then we just praise the Lord for all the things that we see that are going well both in the adoption program in Hong Kong, but in the way that the church is working with their unique relationship with mainland China. 
Let's pray. Father God, we do pray that the gospel continue to spread in Hong Kong and that local believers will manifest the gospel to vulnerable children and families. We pray that believers would rest in the sovereignty of the Lord, even amongst seemingly hopeless political and social unrest. We pray that you would help believers to, to, to be unparalleled in their gospel proclamation during this time of a global pandemic. We pray that you would equip our brothers and sisters in Hong Kong to make the gospel known and the reality of the gospel known. We pray for all the waiting children of Hong Kong. We pray that more local families would be open to significant medical special needs. We pray that God would provide loving, stable caregivers for children while they wait. We pray for the social welfare department, that they would improve and streamline their process to avoid children waiting much longer than needed. We pray for attachment for all of those families who've adopted from Hong Kong, that you would grant them with, with good attachment with their children. Lord, we pray for continued favor for Mother's Choice in the Hong Kong Social Welfare Department. We pray that the, the leadership at Mother's Choice would continue to be convicted of an uncompromising, unwavering hold on their Christian values. We pray that the staff would be encouraged and that you would continue to equip them with the stamina to persevere. Father, we praise you for all the many mission-minded families who have joined the Hong Kong International Adoption Program, who are waiting with hope despite unusually long timeframes. We praise you for the excellence with which Mother's Choice serves the children in their care. We praise you for the unique relationship between Hong Kong and China and the opportunity for believers in Hong Kong to take that gospel and to see the gospel flourish in the region. And we pray that Hong Kong would be used to take the glorious gospel to mainland China. And we praise you for the families that are getting closer to traveling to Hong Kong and that there are ways that they'll be able to travel even during this global pandemic to bring their children home. Lord, we're grateful for the country of Hong Kong and this program and for the opportunity to work in this nation. And Father, pray that you would embolden and equip the church to do your work for gospel purposes and that our brethren in Hong Kong would encourage each other with the hope that's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13-18, and they would use that hope to propel the gospel to go forth in Hong Kong and all throughout mainland China. It's in your great name that we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music